Amen. Well, yeah, speaking of Prairie Ridge, so um, a little story. I remember as clear as if it was yesterday, the day that I met with Pastor Mike at a little table at Palmer's Deli on Douglas in Des Moines. Um, we had heard a message about three or four weeks before this that he was going to be planting a church. And so my husband and I talked a little bit and um, decided that maybe we could help get it started for a year. It's been 20. Anyway, we said we could do this. We could help a little bit. Chuck loved Mike. He used to coach him in basketball, my husband. And then I played the piano. And I thought, you know what? I could play the piano for a little bit if they need some help. So I get this call. We meet at a table. And the invitation at this table, which I wasn't expecting, was, would you be welcome? You would be welcome to lead worship. I would invite you to being the worship leader at Prairie Ridge Church, to which I said, I don't sing, I play the piano. To which he said, oh, but I know you sing, I've seen you sing in the choir. And I said, but I don't sing on a microphone. Yeah, so Emily knows the whole story and that would take another message. But I left there sick to my stomach. I spent three months ill, sick to my stomach, thinking about being the worship leader at this church. But he had extended an invitation. I went to prayer. I sought people to pray for me, knowing that God was going to say, nope, you are not the girl. But I finally said yes. And that invitation has gone on to be one of the most pivotal things that I've said yes to in my entire life life because life has changed and some of you are sitting here today and you know that you're saying yep somebody invited me here to renew community somebody invited me into a relationship with Jesus someone invited me to a Bible study you know how invitations can change our life right invitations change our life they change them for the good they sometimes change them for the bad when we say yes to something that maybe we shouldn't have well, we all desire to be invited something, don't we? And even if you wouldn't admit it, we have an innate desire to belong. We have an innate desire for community. So why is it that we post something on Facebook and then 15 minutes later we pick it up to see if anybody liked our post, right? You know it to be true. We do the same with Instagram. How many people commented? How many like what I just posted? We want to be known. We want to have community. And, when, and wherever you go nowadays, in fact, just not too long ago, I was at, um, oh gosh, it's a restaurant here in Ames, and I, the name is drawing um, is away from me right now. It's on Stang Road. But anyway, I walk in, and there were all these people waiting to get into the restaurant, and not one single person was talking to one another. Not one single person. They were all on their phones. They were all on their phones connecting. And we have to remember that social media may allow us to keep up with others and to gather information, but we can't mistake information for intimacy. And we can't mistake communication for community. And people desire community. And I think there are many people in this city, in this place, that are just waiting for an invitation to be a part of something. Isn't that why you came up with the name, Renew Community? So that people would have authentic, real community. 
Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at a couple scriptures, a couple of scriptures where Jesus and his disciples modeled the invitational life. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a Bible app, if you um, are not used to what a Bible app is, someone maybe beside you can tell you, but the Version Bible app is a great app, or maybe there's some Bibles um, back at the table, I'm not sure, okay? But you can pull, pull up your um, app or open the Bible to Mark 1. And most of us probably are familiar with the fact that Jesus called his disciples. He invited them into community. He was a master in invitation, and he taught his disciples to do the same. And I think this story in Mark is one of the best illustrations of his invitational gift. So let's take a look at it. We're going to start in chapter 16, or in chapter 1, verse 16. And the text says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, Come, come, follow me. I'll send you out to fish for people. And once they left their nets, it says at once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat and they were preparing their nets. And without delay, it says, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I love this story. I love this story. Now, when we dig into it just a little bit further, there's some interesting things to learn. The first is, Jesus was in Galilee, okay? It says he was in Galilee. And Galilee was located in the northern part of Israel. And what's interesting is that it was a province that had about 200 villages, about 1,500 people, 15,000 people, and it was called the region of death. The region of death. It was called that by the Jews that were in Jerusalem. And the reason they called it this was because throughout Israel's history, the Gentiles would constantly wage war in Syria. And so consequently, there were many, many mixed marriages in this region, in, Gen- in, um, in Galilee. And these were unbelieving folks, Gentiles, unbelieving folks. But in the story, Jesus is in Galilee because what does Jesus do? Jesus loves to be where the outcasts are, right? He doesn't like to go where the normal people are. He likes to go where the outcasts are. It would be sort of like going to the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. Have any of you ever been there? Well, there's probably a reason why, okay? Have you been to San Francisco? Okay, so when you go to San Francisco, Michelle, I don't know if you remember, did you ever go on the big red bus? Yeah, you know those big red buses that hop on, hop up, and you can see the whole city in about six hours. It's amazing. So we're on, we went, our family went for my mom's 70th birthday a few years ago, and we're on the big red bus, and the tour bus, the, the guide, her name was Gladys, we get towards this district, and she says, and over there, this is the Tenderloin District. Whatever you do, don't go to the Tenderloin District. Stay away from the Tenderloin District, especially don't go to this, the intersection of Eddy Street and Ellis Street because it's a horrible part of town. And what she went on to tell us that is, is that if you go there, there are so many homeless people, so much prostitution, so many people in the sidewalks that you can't even get through. You, you're better off to walk in the streets because they're going to ask you for money. And if you don't give them money, they're going to yell at you that, that it's a horrible part of town. Don't go, and she said it like three times, don't go to the Tenderloin District. 
So me, sometimes I'm a little rebel. I'm like, I want to go to the Tenderloin District. But my family wouldn't let me go to the Tenderloin District. So we didn't go to the Tenderloin District. But Jesus would have ignored the big red bus tour guide. He would have said, oh, you tell me not to go there? That's exactly, exactly where I'm going. He didn't exactly look for the put-together people. He didn't exactly go to the areas of town where everybody was normal. He probably would have avoided the suburbs. He would have gone down to, if, you're, if you know Des Moines at all, gone right down to MLK or some of those other parts of towns. That's where he would go because he loved everyone and everywhere. He saw the good in everyone, didn't he? And he didn't just invite people he liked. But we have a tendency to just invite the people we like, right? We want to invite the normal people, the people like us. We want to invite the people that hang with the same people that we do and like the same things that we do. And in this world we live in, we have become so cynical, so judgmental, so angry, that we often, what happens? We put ourselves in a box, don't we? Me included. We put ourselves in a box. And instead, what if we were a compelling force for good? What if we were looking for good? What if we were drawing out the good in people? What if we were pointing people to that which is good, Jesus Christ? Imagine if everywhere you went, if we put down our phones once in a while, and if we would be fully present, what if we paid attention to the people around us? What if we did that in the store, in the grocery store? What if we did that in the line at Walmart? Yes, even at Walmart. What if we did that when we were waiting for our um, oil to be changed? What if we did this at the gym? What if we looked for people whose heads were down, whose heads were up? What if we looked for the young and the old and the rich and the poor and the white and the black? What if we looked for people all around us that were not like us and asked the Holy Spirit, would you help me engage in a conversation? Would you help me maybe have a new friendship? Open my eyes, God. Who is around in my path today that I might look for good, that I might have a conversation with them? The family member who hasn't been to church their whole life. The neighbor whose, anger, whose language is crude, who drinks too much. The friend who's struggling with depression and can't hold down a job. What if we looked for good and opportunities to invite? We have to be present and aware and get out of our own frantic, frantic pace and set aside our agendas. I have agendas. Set aside our agendas, create a little margin so that we can listen to God. So that we can listen to God and ask the Spirit to open up a conversation. And the next thing you know, God's doing something. Well, Jesus invited people and he taught his disciples to do the same. And they learned by observing him. And obviously they must have liked what they saw because they said, yes, I'll follow you. Even to a stranger. And I'm sure they had reservations, just like I had reservations all those years ago, to say yes to Mike Van Rees about planting a church. The next story I want to look at is found in the book of John. So go to the, book, the Gospel of John, and we're going to go to, 40, to uh, verse 43. And this is the story of Philip. So Philip has already said yes to Jesus. 
Okay, he said yes to following him. And then he makes an invitation to Nathaniel. And verse 45 says this, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, this is Nathaniel saying this, can anything good happen from there? Come and see, said Philip. Here's what we know. We know that Nazareth was despised by the Jews. So he was a little bit surprised. Nathaniel was surprised that this Jesus would be from Nazareth. There was a Roman army garrison there, and so it was despised by the Jews. But what happens? Nathaniel trusted Philip and said yes. Sawyer, you trusted Emily when they invited you to come here to renew, right? You trusted her. You had a friendship. So good job, Philip. Good job for inviting someone. Good job for inviting people to a life with Jesus. And then good job, Nathaniel, for taking a step of faith and saying yes, even though you barely know Jesus. A few years ago, a friend of mine, she just decided she had made a commitment to follow Christ. And so she was excited about that commitment. And she said there was this guy, his name was Bob, in her apartment building. He was kind of unassuming and um, real, real plain looking guy. And she was so excited about her relationship with Jesus that she decided one day to invite him to church. And she was really surprised, she said, when she found the guts to invite him because she didn't really know him. Then she was even more surprised when he said, yes, I'd love to go to church with you. And he had been to come to find out he had been divorced for many, many years. He hadn't been to church for years. So he came to church, and now he's been at our church. He serves on the prayer team. He's in a Bible study. He serves in the Alpha Ministry, which we do at the Ridge. And all because Angel was excited about her new relationship with Jesus, and she decided, even though she didn't know that much about Jesus and she didn't know much about Prairie Ridge, she decided to invite Bob into life at the ridge, and it's changed his life. He was a neighbor, an acquaintance, sort of, kind of, saw him at the mailbox out in the hallway, and she invited him. And so that leads me to ask you this. How well do you know your neighbors? How well do you know your neighbors? So I read a book several years ago. It's in my purse. It's called The Art of Neighboring. And I heard this guy, the author, speak at a conference I was at, and I was really intrigued with it, but I thought to myself, when I was a kid and when I was raising my kids, nobody would have had to read a, write a book about neighboring. Any of you there? We neighbored when my kids were growing up. We had several, several houses, and we, the kids would rotate from this house to this house to this house to this house. We even had our own dinner call. So one, one um, house had a whistle. One of them had a, a cow horn. We had a triangle like this, and we rang it. And so the kids knew when it was dinner time or when they needed to go home because we would ring the bell. And they might be at our house this morning, and then 10 minutes later, they were at another house. We knew all of our neighbors. But what happens now when the doorbell rings, you like duck. You're like, who's at our door? Who would be coming to our door and knocking at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Right? Sometimes I pull the shades because I don't want to be bothered. That's a true story. Good grief. Do we really need a book like that? Well, we do, because it's a real challenge in our culture, because people don't neighbor. So here's a little challenge this morning. Um, the greeting team gave you a piece of paper, if you would pick that up. And if you have a writing utensil, everybody can do this. 
And kids, you, you might want to do this and think about your own house where you live, or you might want to think about where you sat in school last year or something that you're doing. You can do this too. So here's what the author challenges. It's called the neighboring block map. So what I want you to do is you write down, the, the author challenges you to think of nine neighbors. So even if you live in an apartment, you could go up, down, to the side, and diagonally, right? So you, this could be if you live in a house or an apartment. We're not going to do all nine today just for the sake of time, but write down three neighbors' names. Write down their first name, and if you know it, write down their last name. Okay, so that's your first Little assignment. Write down their name. Who are your neighbors? Don't worry, I'm not going to grade you. <laughs> okay, first and last name. So I was excited when I did this. I could come up with a few. I know Chad and Michelle Vitorito. I'm not sure if I'm spelling it right. Mark and Jan Romano and Jeff and Monica Volk. Three immediate neighbors. So now the next thing that he challenges you to do, and you can take this home, and I would challenge you to fill it all out. The next thing the author challenges you to do is write down a piece of relevant information about those neighbors. So relevant information. Maybe where did they work? Um, where did they used to live? Some, some bit of information. So I was excited because I passed part of this test. I know that Chad works at Capital City Equipment. I know Michelle works for a bank. She just switched jobs, but I don't know what bank she works for, and I don't know what she does there. My neighbor Mark and Jan. Mark works as a plumber at Steamfitters. Jan works for Wells Fargo. And then I know Jeff is a mortgage officer, but I don't know where he's a mortgage officer at. And I know his wife, Monica, is full-time National Guard. Okay, so that's the next one. Then lastly, so write down, think about that. And then the last thing the author challenges is that you write down something meaningful about each one of those neighbors. So what motivates them? What's something that's been going on in their life? Where are they spiritually? And let me tell you, this is convicting. This is convicting because how can you... Get to know people. How can you invite people to church or to any sort of um, to movie night or something like that if you don't know them, if we don't neighbor? I know Michelle's mom recently died. I know Jan's mom has been ill. I hadn't had a conversation with Jeff and Monica for probably a year. And when you start teaching and you have to tell people about this stuff, you're like, okay, yeah, I better live this a little bit. It's convicting. Here's what the author says. 10% can fill out all nine boxes with names. 10%. 3% can fill out B, where they attach where it is that they work, so, or something significant about them. And only 1% can fill out C, where they talk about and write down something that they know, something significant about them. Where do you fall in this? Where do you fall on this? Do you feel like you have enough of a relationship with any of your neighbors that you'd feel comfortable to invite them to renew? Maybe you have invited people before and they say no. We don't like to accept no's, do we? Or we ask once and then we never ask again. I've been guilty of that. I asked my neighbor twice and she blew me off pretty much. Well, she blew me off. 
yeah, yes or no. She blew me off. And so I've never asked her again. Now she's moving. And I kind of thought to myself, well, I won't have to ask her again and get another no. But, you know, it's sort of like fishing. Have you ever fly, done fly fishing? Anybody here fish? If you fish, you are a saint because I think it takes the more patience than anything in the world. A couple years ago, we went to Colorado. My husband went fly fishing with someone. And this friend said, oh, Julie, you're going to love it. It's so relaxing, and you just, you just sense God around you. Well, I lasted maybe 30 minutes, and I thought, this is the most boring thing in the entire world. My husband, for eight hours, cast and pulled back. Cast. I'm not exaggerating. I exaggerate sometimes. I'm not exaggerating. Eight hours, and he caught one stinking rainbow trout. But it was amazing. He was so excited. So you have to keep asking. You have to keep asking. You have to keep developing the relationship. So let's go back to the scripture again. The scripture in Mark says, they left at once to follow him. And then in John, when Nathaniel listens to Jesus, he responds by saying, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. There wasn't a lack of hes- there wasn't a hesitation. They immediately went. And I wonder, what was in Andrew and Peter and Nathaniel's lives? What was going on to cause them to say, Yes, I'll follow you? What was going on in their life? What was their need? Because here's the deal, friends. Most often, people are usually, when they're vulnerable, when they're hurting, when they have a need, they will accept your yes. So if you know something about the people around you, and they're in a place of need, they're more often to say yes. There's a family that recently started coming to our church last June because their son um, was uh, driving and drinking and he killed a girl. And this family had been invited before to attend and said no. This time, they said yes. They needed community. They were hurting. They accepted the invitation. And life has changed for them because they're drawing close to Jesus. It's made a huge difference for them. And while the invitation that I was extended years ago helped me, has taught me much, as being part of the ridge, nothing has changed my life as much as the invitation that my college roommate extended to me to go across the street and go to a Bible study where I gave my life to Christ. And when I said yes to that invitation, countless other doors were opened, all of which have transformed my life. Saying yes can change your life for the better or for the worse. Accept the right invitation. Because when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all men, friends, that's for you guys. It's not just for Pastor Aaron, because he's the pastor. It's not just for Emily, because she happens to be the worship leader. It's for every single one of you. And you don't have to be a Paul the evangelist to go out, and you don't have to go preach the gospel. You simply need to extend an invitation. You simply need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and invite people into life. Invite them into a relationship. And it's hard, and it takes sacrifice. It takes putting aside things on your schedule to maybe start a small group, to start a pod in your home. There's so many opportunities here at Renew Community. You just have to be willing to listen to the Spirit and then obey the Spirit, invite people to be a part of it. 
so many opportunities. And the statistics show that still today, people are more likely to say yes to something if invited, if asked. Hey, would you be willing to do this? People won't just step into it of themselves. But a personal invitation, that makes a difference. This family, this family that, um, that started coming to church, what it's done for them, dad and son jumped into a Bible study. Mom and sister got into a Bible study. Cousin, the young man's his best friend who was his cousin, got into a Bible study. They surrounded themselves by community. They didn't just come to church on Sunday. They surrounded themselves by community. And it has made all the difference in the world because four weeks ago tomorrow, we all sat in a courtroom as they handcuffed their son and took him off to prison and listened to the sentence of 15 years and took him off to prison. Their life would look a lot different had they not entered into community. Their life would look a lot different had they not been invited to come and be a part of community, to be a part of a Bible study so they could draw closer to Jesus. And so, friends, there are so many opportunities here. There's, I, I get to meet with um, Emily sometimes, and she was telling about things that are coming up that she's so excited about, pods, group pods, um, opportunities to teach children's worship, to play and to sing on the worship team, to help with youth group, to serve on the Labor Day on the Labor Day serving opportunity. Places um, to serve are all over the place here. And if you're new or if you've been sitting on the fringes, I would encourage you to get involved. I would encourage you if you've never invited someone to be in community here to start praying about what that looks like. I encourage you to, um, to look for opportunities to invite because we need to accept the challenge and the invitation that Jesus says to go and make disciples of all men. Because when he says go, that also means that we need to say to others, come. Go. And come. And if you've been keeping the good news of Jesus to yourself, and ask yourself why. Ask yourself who. Ask yourself when. And then be intentional about invitation because Jesus was. So also should we. Let's pray. God, this. Um, this command that you give us to go and to make disciples, which then means that for us, we need to invite people. This is, this is challenging oftentimes because it does mean that we need to be sensitive to your spirit, that we need to look and wait, that we need to be present in situations, that we need to be okay with, say, getting a no, and I pray, Lord, that you would stir something in this body of Christ, that in the season ahead, that each person in this room would say, God, who is one person? Who is one person that I can start getting to know better? And then maybe invite them into community if they're not part 
of a community of Christ. And Father, it's dependent upon you. We depend upon you to change us, to make us bold, to make us loving, to do this because we love you and we love others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to stand with us.